0: welcome to this week's edition of the wispy mop music acoustic radio podcast series my name is todd walker todd middle initial c walker yes that's right it's me i am the host and we are listening to the song a way out from the cd boomerang by ken demith in the ken demith collection which is he and he and he and a couple of buddies and i have him on the phone right now ken how are you doing
1: Hey, Todd. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Excited well, about it.
0: Well, it's fun because I haven't seen you in person for, gosh, probably five months.
1: <laughs> Any of us. We've all been missing seeing each other.
0: We have. We have. Now, I have a quick question. The um, the CD Boomerang, I know you had had it planned for a couple or three years there because you and I had discussed it, I think, with one of the Sunday songwriters probably about three years ago. And yeah. the... Um, But how long was the process from the time you started writing or you you had songs in a collection that you thought, gosh, I'd like to make a CD of these songs until you actually brought it out, I guess, at the end of this past year?
1: Yeah, um, I had uh, actually, you know, I moved here to Maryland from Texas, where most most I did most of my playing years down there. And um, when I moved here, I was busy working because I moved here for a job. Uh, You know, day job, paying job, (laughs) and um, and so I wanted to focus on that, you know, for the first year. And you know, I I left all my music friends behind, and it was you know a little heartbreaking. But um, after a year, you know, the itch came back, and I just couldn't stay away. I mean, I mean, literally, all my guitars and all my amps and my all my studio setup was in a, a storage unit for over a year. And I, I said, I got to go get all that out, you know, <laughs> and started to, I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And I, 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 you know, I was looking at the Craigslist ads and stuff, trying to find people. And it's just, it's really hard to find people that you align with, you know, to do what you want to do. So I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do all of this virtually and I'm going to start, just, just start and see where, how it goes. And I started making my list of songs that I was thinking about. And, um, I started looking back over the years, like songs I'd written and never recorded and thought about. And I ended up with a list of about 40 songs.
0: Well, that's a good number.
1: Was a lot. Um, and I had been, I was still writing. So I started getting excited about writing again. And so I started thinking, I was like, well, I'm going to do all I can. You know, I'm just sitting here in the house and, you know, I have no friends to play music with. <laughs> so, um, but it, it gave me a chance to connect with friends I had played music with because, you know, with the computers and such, and people have studios in their houses, everybody that, you know, I like playing with had some way of recording and working with me. So I had, I set about, you know, saying just however long it takes is how, how long it takes. And it ended up taking just about five years to do.
0: So now, and you didn't, during that five-year time? Because I don't remember when you moved to Frederick or the yeah. Frederick area. Yeah,
1: in 2014.
0: Okay, so, yeah, about six years ago. So you were here the entire time you were kind of putting this all together.
1: Yeah, thir- actually 2013, yeah. I was, and I started the record in 2014.
0: It's now, how many of the instruments on each cut do you play? Because I know you play multiple instruments.
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, I, uh just whatever was needed sort of like my my first goal was like if i could think of someone who's who's better than me which is most everybody (laughs) you know i uh i uh would try try to talk them into a fight because it's kind of an exploration process um to to do that and see what they'll come up with how does it what how does it take the song into a new direction um and in most cases that happened. like you know i had something in mind and i lay down a rough track and someone would send me something not expected at all. And I'm like, I love it. And, you know, had to redo my parts or whatever to, to make it fit. So, um, so I don't know, It depends on some songs I've played, you know, uh, mostly, you know, I'll say obviously I sang on all of them um, and then I played, you know, some kind of basic guitar and maybe a bass on some of them. And that last song way out, I played piano on. So um, you know, you just, you find, you find people And I, And I do want to talk a little bit about the people. I mean, the, the, the idea of the Ken, the myth collection is, is I always, it's like a, it's like a commune for musicians. The band is, you know, I'll talk a little bit about my current band, but I always just feel like no matter what we do, it will, will whoever's played in it, it's always welcome, you know?
0: Well, who, who are the go-to people?
1: Yeah. Well, let me give me a chance to talk about my current band. Yes, by all means, because uh, I was able to find a, a band, good band here in in the Frederick area. It starts with Peter Franklin. He was the the guy that has uh, started with me first, and he's a drummer. And lives over in uh, Newmarket area, and so uh, Peter Franklin's a great drummer, great friend. He's a he's a, a Jamaican vi, vi, via way of uh, London, uh, England. So he. <laughs> He um, he's got that thick British a- accent and grew up in Jamaica. Um, so he's uh, he's fun to play with and talk to and shoot the bull with. And uh, so we then we started looking for other bandmates and we found a guy named Bruce Lipson, who was widely experienced. He's a great bass player and he, he engineer, songwriter, everything. He's great to have in the band. And then recently we had a guy named Dave Fenstermacher. And, uh, Dave is a piano player. Um, just, he's got one of those Nords that, uh, you know, that he sold me. He's like, I got a Nord stage piano. I was like, okay, you're in, as long as you can play it. Um, now he, and he's the he got, fellow
0: who I met at the Sunday songwriters, isn't that yes, correct? Yes,
1: that's right. Yep, That's right. He came out with me and, and, and he likes doing that too. So, um, Dave is, um, he's a super player who has, um, you know, hasn't had much of a chance to get out and perform, and so i think he he likes doing original music me- that's the trick for me i li- i like original music i have no um you know qualms about doing a cover song but that's never my goal uh, i always try to do original music
0: so that's the that's the group from here yeah. for now
1: yeah and then the album was some 24 different people played. wow yeah um well there's 20 uh 24 songs on the record. And so oddly enough, there's about 24 different players on it. So, (laughs) you know, we, um, uh, it's just, and it wasn't the plan. I just kind of started with a few and then grew from there. Um, The biggest trick, you know, when I got here was finding a drummer because that's the most complicated thing to record, Um, you know, getting the right mix and and, uh, right setup to do drumming drum recording. But um, I, the, the person I started with was my bass player from Texas, who was incredible, a guy named Sean McWilliams. And we probably played together eight or nine years down there. And he was just a, you know, the first time I heard him play bass, I was producing his band's album. And he came in, and I just thought he was the bass player for this band I liked <laughs> I was going to do a recording project with. And um, my wife, who I was dating at the time, was sitting in the studio with me. And this guy starts playing, we're like, jaws drop into the floor like this guy can play um never did i expect that you know years later he'd be my bass player for years um but it ended up that way and i was the best man at his wedding and you know that kind of stuff so we got to be friends and he plays on a lot of tracks so
0: well let's go talk about your your history Mm -hmm. now were you born in texas and that's where you grew up or
1: Oh, that's a long story, but I'll make it short as possible. I, I was actually, uh, you know, born in Chicago, Illinois, um, to uh, uh, a couple of parents. They went to the same high school, you know, there together, but they were transplant. Well, my dad was, uh, grew up in the Chicago Heights area and, um, and lived there his whole life, his whole life from the, you know, he was born, he was in the military for a few years, but after that, I mean, he went right back home and lived in the same 10 mile radius his whole life. Where my mom was uh, born in Kentucky and and moved to Chicago like that migration from the south to the north. So that's my origin as this kind of southern family slash. Po- my dad's full blooded Polish, so this whole Polish you know, <laughs> immigrant story. They got together and then um, after that, you know, when uh, my parents got divorced when I was young, and uh, my mom uh, moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and so we moved to Nashville. I grew up in Nashville. So uh, long, there's a lot of the story there, Todd. Um, grow, moving to Nashville was probably the reason I play music.
0: I was going to say, you know, music, although I've, I've been to Memphis personally, I've never been to Nashville, but I would think that if you're just walking down a sidewalk on a crowded yeah. day... Pretty much every person you bump into is a musician or a singer or a songwriter in Nashville.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the case. My mom uh, was a hairdresser, and uh, and, and you know, she had owned you know beauty salons or whatever in Chicago. She was award winning, and she won the Chicago like one of the youngest people to win the Chicago Hair Show and uh but so she made this decision to move to, back down south and move to Nashville and she just couldn't open the shop. She decided she was going to be like country music star hair stylist. And to her credit, she did it. <laughs> she I mean as a kid growing up, I got to meet everybody um in the music business. Um there in Nashville and I, I was not a musician growing up. I uh, I played football, baseball, whatever. You know, that was my passion. Um mm-hmm but I was around all these people. All my friends were, their parents were, you know, writing gold record hit songs and producing them and managing these people. So, you know, I was around, I was around the music business growing up.
0: So who are some of the folks that your mom did hair for that we might recognize?
1: uh, uh Reba McIntyre. She was, she toured with Reba McIntyre for several years and, um, You know, Roy Orbison was a family friend. We'd hang out together, their family and ours, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, one of my good friends was um, Troy Seals' son. We played, you know, he was my baseball coach, you know, and Troy Seals wrote like uh, seven Spanish angels, you know, Mm -hmm. and and rock and roll guitar for Eric Clapton. So, you know, I was actually at his house hanging out with his son when he was writing that song. So, um, it's kind of cool to, you know, see that growing up. And like I said, I was there because he was my baseball coach, but, but you can't help but let that, um, you know, rub off on you as you're growing up and all this, you know, always things around.
0: So did you have any idea at the time as a, as a kid growing up seeing these folks and meeting them that you were in a world of top musicians or musical people, or is it just, they were the people you knew?
1: A little of both. You know, I think uh, first, you know, first and foremost, yeah, they were just people I knew, and, and I enjoyed that. It kind of kept me from being starstruck. Um, you know, I, even today, like when I, you know, meet if I get a chance to meet you know musicians and people, I, I I tend to understand that they're they're people, you know, <laughs> and don't don't get get too uh, worked up about it. And uh, it didn't then, and I don't now. So yeah, and I enjoyed getting to know them as people. But I also enjoyed um, like eating barbecue with Reba McIntyre in a trailer. You know, that's that's fun, you know, because she was a good person, you know, um, and a super talented artist. So it, you get to see both sides of people. You see they deal with things just like we do.
0: Now, did you have was there one of them who you met who looking back on it was kind of a. a n- unusual person, like incredibly funny or withdrawn or something that you know most people who see them professionally yeah. would never have seen that side
1: yeah roy orbison he was just amazing um and probably the person i met the most times because um, his wife and my mom were friends so we always had something to do with them and uh just you know he was he was quiet uh and uh, reserved like you might think but um He's kind of a wild personality. I mean, you know, he came to our house on Christmas once and he had on, you know, like leather pants and snakeskin cowboy boots and a fringe <laughs> jacket, you know, uh, on Christmas Day, you know. And But, yes, very sweet. I'm still friends with some of his kids, you know. Um, so, you know, very sweet guy. Um, but still, you know, his he had seen the world by this time. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. Now, so you were into sports, not, in, not into music. The music was just kind of around you.
1: Yeah, I love music, but, you know, uh, I, I didn't think it was my thing. And it's still very, it doesn't come natural to me. I had to work really hard at it. Um, like, I know people, and, 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 you know, I think part of that is when you're around super talented people that, um, and you see how easy it comes to them, and it doesn't come to you that easy, it's hard. You know, um, so I, I'm still today. It's very hard for me to play music. I have to work and think and try really hard to do it, it any good at all, you know? So,
0: Well, what was it that got you into music finally?
1: Mm, as I was, I spent a lot of time, like I was an artist too in college and high school and I liked to draw and paint. So I always listening to music while I was doing those things. Um, and, uh, so and I started listening to jazz of all things. like I back in the late '70s, there was a show called uh, Jazz Album Countdown," and they would play all this modern jazz fusion. I loved George Benson and George Duke and you know Herbie Mann and all these guys that were just doing this cool jazz fusion music. and so I'd sit there and chill it was good chill music. And then uh, my mom went to the Grand Ole Opry House to see Bruce Springsteen. Um, And she brought the record home with her. And so I popped that on, and that was it for me. Like, you know, I started listening to Bruce Springsteen. Like, there's something about this guy that is like, you know, makes me want to be a songwriter. And then I started listening to Bob Dylan and Tom Petty and Elvis Costello and all those guys that were songwriters. So I started getting this notion that I could be a songwriter. I didn't know how to play any instrument yet, but <laughs> I was going to try.
0: <laughs> so, Did you start writing songs before you ever learned an instrument?
1: I learned three chords and I started writing songs. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you know, the other person I should mention is my mom got married when I was um, 17 to a a songwriter. And so it's my stepdad, Kurt, Curtis Lee Conroy. And um, he started teaching me and he is the super greatest guy Um, I think my, I think they've been divorced like 20 years, but they're still best friends and still, he's still my stepdad, if you know what I mean. Yes. You know, like, um, so, and he's like a great friend and, and still, you know, influence on me to this day that he taught me how to play a few chords and then encouraged me. He, he, our, our house had all this equipment. So, um, that he used to record with. And I learned how to, He just said, go down there. As long as you put it back the way you got it, you can use it anytime you want. So I was recording on like old real, real tapes back in the, you know, late seventies, just trying to learn how to do all this stuff. It's fun.
0: So now what was his main instrument?
1: He's a guitar player.
0: Okay. So when you, when you learned how to play guitar, was it on one of his or did you have one of your own?
1: Well, that's a funny story too. My mom, uh, I, I was a like I said I was a good athlete and i um I was going to go to school on a football scholarship and I was so excited about that, but I like jacked up my knee royally in my senior year of high school and had lots of surgeries and so it was the end of that and uh, my mom knew I was uh depressed but also a kind of an active kid and she bought me a guitar um because I had asked for something else that I wanted, something stupid, you know, <laughs> you know, that I saw the other kids want. And she's like, she knew I was creative, and she bought it for me. It sat in my room for like three years. I didn't touch it. So a uh, little electric, little like a like a Japanese, Aspen was the brand, Aspen Telecaster. And um, it sat in my room for three years. I didn't touch it. And then all of a sudden, I hurt myself. And I was like, I didn't have anything to do. I was stuck in my I was I was like on quarantine back then, right? Yeah, you know, like wow. <laughs> and I just started learning to play and, and he had taught me, you know, a few things. I just put away to mess with it, but that's when I probably started really playing in earnest um, because I had also built in it, built up energy.
0: Now, did he instruct you or teach you how to write songs as well, or just more to play guitar?
1: No, he's more like, you know, just, Hey, that sounds great. You know, he, he just encouraging is more of the way I'd say his he would show me a couple things, but then just let me go, you know, which is probably the right thing for me. Cause I'm, I was a creative kid all around just all around.
0: Well, you mentioned that you were an artist as well. Now, was it mainly drawing? Was it painting? What was your medium?
1: Yeah, I would do, um, I would do drawings. I, music was an influence there too, cause I would draw my favorite musicians. I would just, it was just for fun. I would, you know, draw and, and, and I started, I, I, that was, you know, these, I talked about being hard, music being hard. Art was easy. Like that was the other way I, I won all, I, I got to go to college free because of my art abilities. Um, and I didn't even k- care, you know, <laughs> like, I, would, I just could draw and I draw these pictures and I'd submit them for scholarships and they'd call me and tell me I won. And so, you know, I'd say, okay, well, I guess I'll be going to your school next year, you know, so, so I ended up getting through college that way. Um, and and I graduated University of Tennessee, and uh, in graphic design. So it, it morphed. You know, I I got a degree in uh, illustration. I was going to be a uh, uh, sort of an editorial illustrator. You know, and um, but Photoshop came along, and we didn't we didn't need those kind of people that much anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's made an artist out of a lot of people who were not necessarily creative.
1: Right. Right. Especially my style. My style was kind of like to create realities out of, you know, out of your mind that uh, that uh, you couldn't get with a photograph. So once you could start doing that with, I mean, I and I became an early adopter of um, 1984. I worked on my first Mac, you know. But uh, so you know, the art part um, was fun, and it, it goes well with music, actually. You know, the creativity. I you know being. I I noticed when I got in the graphic design field that there were. Lots of us in graphic design that like to play in music, too, you know.
0: I guess if you're creative on one in one hand, you're creative in the other and also in the brain.
1: Yeah, sometimes, you know, it's not that it's not a rule, but it certainly is a um, it certainly seems to have a good correlation.
0: Now, you mentioned that you liked drawing uh, pictures of some of your favorite music- musicians. Did yeah. you ever design someone's poster or their album jacket or anything like that?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I've done on my own. So all of all my records I've done uh, just because I'm cheap. That's more so than anything. <laughs> so, um, it's interesting, though, because I think I'm going to hire someone to do the next one that we're, we just kicked off last night, um, the the production of the new album. Um, but I think it, I, I won't spoil it, but I, I think I'm going to hire someone to do the, the album for the next one because I got an idea in mind and, and a great artist that I'm looking forward to working with.
0: Well, it's interesting that the, well, and again, I just have the little download card, the plastic one where the USB thing flips out, which Mm -hmm. I had the card for, I think, almost a year. You gave it to me, well, it couldn't have been almost a year, but whenever you gave it to me, it must have taken me three months before I figured out how, because I kept trying to slide the thing out. It doesn't, you have to push it up through the back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, but, I still haven't printed any CDs of this boomerang album. I'm thinking about it just cause I don't know, people still buy them here and there, but, um, the doubt, you know, uh, it's, it's a tricky world for musicians right now. It
0: right? is a very difficult world. It's a great world for the casual hobbyist musician who wants to be, and mm-hmm. can kind of become a little bit more than that because the sky's the limit with recording right. on your computer at home and so forth. But, um, it is very difficult for the musician who it's more than just a hobby and it's more right. than just a part-time income or the part-time part of it actually adds to their full-time income to make it a bigger hole for the family or for themselves.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm not definitely glad that that's not the position I'm in and I could view it more as an artistic endeavor than a career. Um, So, you know, I I don't, I, I, it'd be hard. I I am, you know, you can do both. You know, it's like, I I feel lucky that I I focused on different parts of my life to enable the ability to do some really good stuff right now. You know, it's, I feel proud of it, but, um, I I, I would hate to have the pressure of having to do it right now. That's for sure.
0: Now you were living in Nashville. You went to school at the University of Kentucky. How did you get (laughs) to Texas?
1: Yeah. You got to be careful. Not Kentucky. Oh, Tennessee. Cool. I'm sorry. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, I got to Texas after I graduated in Dallas. Um, you know, long story, follow a girl, whatever. You know. <laughs> um, a true, but anyway, true I, musician. I got, yeah. I got married and moved down there um, just because um, the Tennessee, you know, I had been in Tennessee, but, you know, you're a wide eyed kid, new places, new places attract you you know college degree in hand looking for a place to work in advertising agencies and stuff and there wasn't much outside the music industry in Nashville at the time that's changed a lot now I mean Nashville's a thriving metropolis now but back then it was you know ins- insurance and country music was all was going on back then um, but so I moved to Dallas and Dallas was it seemed like a good place to go and then long story short, you, again, you know, have, end up having kids down there, which I think you've met on, only one of my kids. Marlon. No, you met yep. my son, too. You met my oldest son. Uh, he played guitar with me once at one of your... That's right. Um, so, you know, so I had kids and just, you know, that, that tends to hold you in a place that you know, end up uh, not staying married to my first wife and, and meeting Kim, who you've met several times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and... um so you know the, the Dallas became home for quite a while. it's almost twenty years um and it was a really good place I, I'm so glad that you know when i finally uh decided to you know somewhere around two, year two thousand or nineteen ninety eight I, I i had I had given up music after I graduated college i I just didn't play music again for some fifteen years um Be- and I,
0: because of work and family.
1: Lack of home support. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, yeah. Work, family. Uh, I wasn't getting, you know, any encouragement for doing it. Um, sure. So that ended up being, you know, part of, I had, I had a drive to do it and started meeting some people that um, like to play music. And I was, I was writing songs. And what I didn't know was these songs were, were appealing to people like i would play them for people and they'd and like hey we got to get together we got to form a band these songs are good let's make a band <laughs> you know and so i did meet three guys that that uh, ended up forming my first band mercy service and and we made a record and that record was really good and um i wrote most of the songs for it and um it kind of was on my way and then then i then i loved playing music in dallas dallas was a really great musical um soil to to grow in you know for me better than nashville
0: it's funny Um, because it's not you don't hear the name dallas when people talk about uh uh, music san antonio maybe you know austin austin yeah definitely austin
1: um but but it's texas in general i think i think this there's like texas has its whole this whole kind of its own ecology around music it's it's an interesting place and it's really why it, it's kind of got this really wide open feel that i haven't found here yet maybe it's here i just haven't found it yet um but um you know this it's very encouraging there's a lot of, you know a lot to me one of the reasons for that was a lot in dallas particularly a lot more of the clubs and music venues and wanted and sought out original music oh they did yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was there were, you know, there were places that, you know, wanted the the high volume cover bands for sure. But for the most part, you, you didn't have to make it, you know, you didn't have to do cover music to, to go around and play. You know, I could play I could play two or three times a month at pretty good sized venues and people would come to see original music. So which, which
0: you don't see here as much at all.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a little disappointing. I, I would, you know, but maybe we can change that Todd. That's, that's my optimism. You know, how, how do we, how do we work on that and get the um, get the audiences to appreciate that what that good music comes out of people's heads and hearts.
0: Yeah. It's uh, I mean, we, we've, with varying success over the past 20 years, we've been able to get people out to the acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll go for a couple of years where every seat in the place is full and then we'll go a couple of years where there's only 10 and then five or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of like jazz jazz right now, or was before the, uh, you know, quarantine issue here with the virus had come back in the past year and a half was kind of like the, kind of the go-to stuff. And that had happened back in the late 90s, early 2000s, too. It kind of pushed the acoustic, folky kind of stuff in the background for about three or four years. And then Mm -hmm. they both kind of laid low for a while. And then the acoustic stuff came back and kind of stayed high. And then that kind of waned. And then the jazz all of a sudden came back. So it's interesting how it ebbs and flows.
1: Well, if you look, there's pockets. You know, there's a band here called Silent Old Mountains. Yes. Yep. And man that, that Andrew Brommel yep. uh is, is a good songwriter and singer. And I go like I went to see his band right before the um, the, the um, lock in, I wanted to call it lockdown, yep. whatever. Um, but you know we saw him at Smoke Smoke Town. Yes, uh, yeah. brewery. Yes. And the place was packed. You know, and I don't know how many people were there to see them, but the place was packed and lots of people there to see live original band music. And I love those guys. They're fun. And so they're, they give me hope, right. You know, that, that, that kind of music does have a place here.
0: Yeah. That, that younger age range, that kind of late twenties through probably mid to late thirties. Yeah. They, they seem to, and it's sort of like when I grew up and I used to play in bars and restaurants, things in the Boston, Cape Cod and, and, uh, main area resort mm-hmm. towns, There were a lot of people my own age who came out to hear me or whatever I was involved in musically. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have happened with that kind of younger set. I mean, Andrew used to, he was one of the uh, original open mic kind of performers Mm -hmm. at at two or three of the the venues that we had open mics. Even going back is, is like 2004 yeah and then he kind of disappeared for a while and then all of a sudden he's fronting a band and then you'd hear about him a little bit and they go away and they come back and i i i was really happy to be able to take some great photographs from the balcony at the weinberg center he was one of the first bands who played at the weinberg when they did the uh, frederick playlist where they brought in four bands they'd each get 45 Uh minutes you know, with beautiful lights. I mean, it was really wonderful. And yeah, it would be
1: great if they did that again, you know, you know that's,
0: but that uh, was his, I, cause I had never heard his band. I'd only heard him with maybe somebody else sitting in with him and I was blown away.
1: They are really good. They're fun.
0: Yep. And a good so, guy. You know, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, so he's 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 a great guy to talk to and and uh, approachable and and you know we need to we need to stick together you know those of us who want to do original music and and uh and and support each other so I try to do that you know you know you see me around Oh yes uh, yeah I, I try to get out and support others as as you know I hope they'll do for us too you know when it's our time
0: Well and you've been a very consistent uh performer at open mics and 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 songwriter series and i you know understand that you know because sometimes i won't see it for two or three months but that's because you know there's family there's work things get in the way there's other things and then all of a sudden
1: over exposure well yeah (laughs) you know part of it is i I do i do think about you know I, i it's um something i like to uh measure out a little bit just for me and for, you know, others, but, um, cause I, I don't have that many songs, you know, I don't want, I don't want everybody to hear me sing the same song over and over again. Um, but I do, I do have a lot of songs.
0: Now, how many songs do you think you have, or maybe you know exactly?
1: Worth playing. That's the question. Well, trick, right? <laughs> let's go
0: with total number of songs first and then yeah. what you consider worth playing after that.
1: Oh, at least a hundred songs.
0: Wow. That's yeah. a good number.
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I tried to plot it out the other day. I, you know, I think I've got somewhere in the neighborhood of finished recordings, 60 songs that I finished recordings on. Really? So, yeah, well, this last album is 24. And that is I true. Yeah. You know, I've got two other, um, albums out. Uh, one is called Naked Guitar. I did night in 2010 and then I've got the Mercy Service album, um, I also this is a this is a, um, a trivia thing, but uh, I also did an album with probably what was my most popular band in Texas called the Come-Alongs. Fun band, Todd. I don't think I've ever talked to you about it. No, you have not. No. The Come-Alongs. We that was we toured. We had, we went all went around the country. Played in Nashville. Played in Chicago. All around Oklahoma and Texas. because and, it was it was kind of this hybrid of kind of popular music. Um, we did throw in a few covers, but it was, it was easily accessible, particularly for that southern, uh, you know, Texas and Louisiana and Oklahoma area. We did what we called Zydebilly.
0: Zydebilly. That's a good word.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a Zydebilly. We made it up and the, the construct of the band was um, we had multiple instrumentalists. So I in that band, I played banjo and electric and acoustic guitar and sang. And we had a guy that played mandolin and uh, accordion and sang. And uh, we had another guy that played accordion and rub boards and tambourines and triangles and you name it and sang. And then we had a bass player and drummer. So we had this kind of weird, you know, it, the the one accordion player was just a world class Zydeco um, accordion player played the little Zydeco accordion. Yep. And uh, so and then we would then we would write weird songs that, you know, about, you know, someone stealing your marijuana crop from you or, <laughs> you know, um, or just stories of, you know, the way things felt when you were growing up, uh, like telling stories around Texas or, you know, little ditties like that. Some, but we and we made an album, a 12 song album. But we never released it. It's it's a hidden gem. Nobody nobody knows how to get it or where to get it. I think there's only three copies in existence uh but because we broke up we broke up as a band it's like a little creative tensions i guess and and it was a fantastic album which is nobody never saw the light of day
0: now Um, the so the master recordings you don't know who owns them or who has control over them or
1: oh yeah i know who has them but they just they can't go anywhere oh really (laughs) they you know it's like some of that that's kind of sometimes it's business things that hold it up because we were we were doing really well like i said we were we were touring and opening for big acts. Uh, there's uh, we opened for a band called the Eli Young Band, which is you know, um, uh, big all over the country. You know, they're a nationwide act, and we opened for a lot of Texas acts, big Texas acts, um, and played big festivals. And it was fun. It was that was a great time. You know, I was still working my day job, but um, I was probably playing one or two nights a week uh, with that band.
0: So how did you tour while you were? holding down a full-time job
1: it was measured you know we we planned several months out and, and tours were short Like, okay we're gonna take this weekend and go to nashville i'm gonna take this weekend and go to chicago so it was it, they weren't like when i say tour i just meant we got in a band and went somewhere and played right <laughs> so well, um, outside of your local you know place
0: sure now so that was probably the band you had the most fun in maybe
1: yeah, it was fun. That was that because you know it was a, like a family, you know, and it's also like a family. You know, you got tensions. You yeah. know, you fight, fight like you act like brother, love like brothers, fight like brothers. You know.
0: Now, do you stay in contact with any of the members of that band, or did you all pretty much part ways forever?
1: Yeah, mo- mostly. Uh, you know, some of the places where there was tension, not as much, but certainly the uh, the place. You know, there's there's good there's good memories and there's tough ones there. Like like. You know, like any relationship, they can they can sour sometimes.
0: Yeah. Now, when you write songs, how mm-hmm. do you start? Do you just come up with an idea? Do you sit down? And and which instrument do you tend to use most for writing?
1: Uh, it varies, Todd. You know, I think um, sometimes I'll I'll jack with my guitar for for you know six months on something that feels like a song and never comes about. And other times, I'll just sit down and it'll write itself in an hour. You know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. And then other times I'll sit on the piano and write stuff. And sometimes, and this happened just this month for a song on the, that's going to be on the new record. Sometimes I'll wake up from a dream and a song will be in my head. And I don't know how that happens. I guess your brain processes things, but the song will just be in my head. And then I'll sit down and figure it out on the guitar or whatever, you know, and and then it has it's just a rough Idea, but then you got to, you construct it on based on that inspiration, and so I just I just had one where I was having this anxiety dream about being lost on a on the tube in in uh, England in London, and so I wrote a song called Lost in London. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> and the movie rights will be uh, picked up by somebody, I think.
1: Yeah, then you have to, you have to make something of it. I mean, inspiration can come from lots of places. And other times I'll have something that's just bugging me um and i'll write about it
0: now do you find that the initial idea for the song kind of morphs into something completely differently once you get into the writing of it or does it pretty much hold true all the way through
1: well um it's interesting because uh you said i think you said you're gonna um you're gonna play that's the way it goes later yes um, well, so that song is like I didn't even know what that song was about. I just wrote words like they were they were just words that were coming to me and sounded good together or whatever and and then, after I constructed what I was writing, I figured out what it was I was saying uh and and I wasn't sure and it's, that song is really about um mental illness and living with someone who has mental illness. Uh, but I didn't know it at the time. I just, you know, I just was starting to write these words that work together. And as I, as I s- tried to figure out what they were saying, they, I had to figure out what I was saying to myself. It was a strange song to write.
0: <laughs> now, was it a subconscious write on your part because you had uh, known someone with mental illness or is it the words just happened to describe it once you really started thinking about it?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, as a songwriter, I can't figure that out sometimes, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't really, I I never really had to, to deal with anybody with a, like a severe mental illness in, in my family or, you know, relationships, but I, I knew of that situation, but, um, but, you know, I, I'm very uh, um, empathetic to people who have to deal with that. And that's what that song is about. It's like, you know, it, the the character is just saying, that's just the way it goes around here, you know, <laughs>
0: Well, and I mean, from, just from listening to it without really taking the words and, and letting them sit in my head and really try to decipher them and, you know, come up with a meaning, yep. it's probably, of the 24 songs on Boomerang, it's yep. probably one of the most closely as to what I would call radio-ready. Wow. You know, I could, I could, every time I listen to it, I think... Oh, I'm listening to this. on. It's almost like I'm listening to it on Sirius, you know, FM or the car radio if the, we know if we still listen to AM radio. It has yeah, that it, just, it has that nice feel, you know.
1: Well, that, that's that's good to hear. It's funny. I, it's one of the things when you ask me about it, I was, I was like, I, I just want Todd to pick the songs because, you know, you get some sense of what people find interesting. Because I don't know, when I'm writing the record, certain things appeal to me, and I have favorites, of course, but that doesn't mean anybody else would like the ones I do.
0: Well, it's interesting because as songwriters, Mm -hmm. and it comes time to title the album or the CD or whatever it's (laughs) going to be, the engineer or the producer, or if it's just us, we have to come up with the title and right. more, most likely, it's the title of one of the songs on the CD or the album. And it's amazing right. to me how often, because I've got a huge collection of CDs I've gathered over the years from doing all the open mics in the songwriting yeah. series, how many of the names of the CDs, of which it's a song on the CD, it's the title track, isn't yeah. necessarily and probably... More than likely, not the favorite track by the artists themselves and the people who have purchased or have the the album or c d but at yeah. the, but at the time it's like oh no that that's that's the title that's the good one, you know, even yeah. mine I, you, know, you know i don't I only have really one I have two I've never released the second one, but it's like you know the the song title, yeah, it's a good song, I guess, but it's not my favorite, but why yeah. I picked well, it who knows
1: it, just, it reflects like for me, boomerang when I named the album that was it really was about these 24 songs and some of them were new, but a lot of them were old. Like this song you started this interview with uh, way out. I wrote when I was 20 years old.
0: You know, I wondered about that when I was listening to it. If, if, if yeah. that was either a recollection or it was written when you were younger.
1: Yeah. I wrote it when I was 20 and I just kind of threw it away. And then I had this guy named Mike Lawing. His name's, uh, he goes by tramp. Uh, tramp is a fiddle player and, uh, um, he sings. With, he was in a band called the Cactus Brothers, and Walk the West out of Nashville. Some great, you know, great bands out of Nashville. Name was my, one of my favorite bands is Bone Pony, and he was the fiddle. And I met him when he was in Bone Pony, and and we got to be friends because he was the marketing director at the uh, National Bluegrass Museum. Hello, I'm still here. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. My phone just went black. But um, he was the, he was the um marketing director for the National um, Bluegrass Museum in, o- in Owensboro, Kentucky. So I was helping him with marketing ideas. And so we got to be friends. And then he decided to play on this record. He actually plays the fiddle on Boomerang, the song. And then he sings on that A Way Out with me. So it's a great chance to get to work with Mike. Uh, he's a fantastic fiddle player. And uh, I mean, he's world class. He played with a popular act called the Kendall's. They were you know, country music uh, stars. Um, and then uh, an old friend from college, Don Wood, played the lap steel on that. So that was the kind. That's the story of Boomerang album. Is I, I was able to go back and revisit some of these old songs, and then get people that I'd worked with over the years, like Don Wood, Mike Lawing. I even uh, brought in a guy named Billy Harvey out of Nashville. He he played for. He was a partner with a guy named Bob Schneider, who I love, and um, as a songwriter. And uh, Billy played on this record and made some of the songs just fantastic. So just collaborating with these people is the most fun on the record.
0: Well, one question I have for you, since you recorded it remotely is not necessarily the the proper word to use, but you were sending MP3s back and forth and working on this. How did you go about mixing it? And then, I mean, who did all that?
1: Oh, I did. You know, I I did all that um, here because I had a great teacher, a guy named Rob Wexler out of Dallas um he he is the producer and uh for a guy named andy timmons who if your listeners are guitar hero fans he's a guitar hero um but andy timmons is like one of those guys like joe satriani yeah. steve Vai. he he's he actually on steve Vai's record label but he's one of those kind of guitar players and his uh, producer was a friend of ours in dallas and he produced our first album the mercy service album and, and my only deal i paid him a lot of money to do it was you got to let me watch you do this and learn how to do it. So he taught me how to, how to use Pro Tools. And, uh, I spent a year with him working on that album and, um, and he got Andy Timmons to play on an album for us. So it was great.
0: Now, did you find the learning curve for Pro Tools to be very difficult or was it because it was slow moving watching him? it, It didn't seem that way
1: doesn't seem that way now, but it's 20 years of learning.
0: Okay. You
1: know, it, if you try to do it all at once, it's going to drive you nuts. But just take a little bit at a time, you know, don't bite off too much. Uh, and it's, then it's a lot easier to do.
0: It's sort of like a iPhone or a Samsung phone in today's world. Yeah. It can do probably 30 trillion more things than I will ever even acknowledge or know about. Right. And that, that would be my idea or my i guess my idea of pro tools you know i'd be fortunate just to get a record sound out of it if you know what i mean
1: yeah uh so you know i i don't i mean i'm sure a recording engineer a professional would look at my files and go what is this guy doing you know (laughs) this is a mess but it works i make it work you know and, and, uh, I've gotten better at it. I've learned, I've, I've, each, each time I do something new, I push myself to learn a little bit more and, um, and it works, you know, they, you get a little better if you try something new every now and then.
0: Well, that leads me into your sesh YouTube oh, yeah. that you, um, I've only seen the one where you interviewed yourself 10 years <laughs> earlier, which was very cleverly done. And how did you get into, what was the motivation behind you putting that
1: together? Well, two things of the sash, the sash itself. Well, my piano player, you know, Dave was over here one night and we were just rehearsing. And I said, uh, I had the cameras out for something else I was doing. And I was like, let's just let's just record like me and you doing some jamming. Let's do like three songs. And we did it. And it was it was um, a guy named David Olney. I don't know if you know David Olney as a songwriter, but he's a great songwriter.
0: I don't um, think he, I know him.
1: He had just passed away. Um, he was at the at the uh, Pensacola or De- Destin Songwriter Festival and he passed away on stage. Oh,
0: no, no. I do know who you mean. I'm sorry. Yes, I do.
1: Yeah. Yep. And so uh, I was feeling sad about that and I had seen David Only and met him a few times and I was I was wanting to tribute to him and I said, let's turn the camera on and do a tribute to David Only, And it turned into like this whole concept of doing uh, in the studio. I've got this nice studio and, you know, it's just a basement room, but it's a good space. It's a warm, friendly space and... So I started with that. I had some other guys like, you know, Casey Cleveland came yes. out and did one with me. And um, one of the songwriters I'm working with, Heather Ray, did one. And I have got I had a whole line of people signed up to do it until the lockdown happened, you know, or the, the quarantine. So I'm going to pick it back up. Um, but I got I was getting antsy and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do one interview myself. <laughs> and so um, I had a green screen, you know, which is the way that's done and just this stupid idea to, you know, interview yourself and I hammed it up a little bit. So thanks for watching that, Todd.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And my question though, and yeah. it's not, I mean, it's more rhetorical, I guess, than anything is, how do you go about having a conversation with nobody there?
1: I had a teleprompter. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to script it out, you know, I, I, I couldn't be as impromptu. I had to like, you know, think about how much time I would the, uh, leaving for the answer, you know, in the question, and then a little bit of creative editing.
0: And you looked different from, yes, you know, that was thanks to the
1: quarantine too. So I had, had grown a beard. Uh, and then, so, uh, when, whenever I got ready to do the younger version of myself, I, um, shaved and fixed my hair and I, blow dried it which I don't usually do maybe a little bit thicker you know (laughs) whatever I can do to to look 15 years younger (laughs) well it was I I won't tell you any other secrets I might have used a little makeup or something like that you know (laughs) well it
0: was very effective and then you would show the little pop-up window with you playing the bass or something that yeah
1: yeah that was the in between
0: yep now that was was fun so what do you call your if someone wants to look that up what do they have to do how do they, uh, they search can, it?
1: They can find they can if they would, they could subscribe to my YouTube channel because I really like using YouTube to promote my music. Um, I got lots of videos there. Um, and that one, the, all those sessions, all those sessions, just Ken Demyth Collection um, on the YouTube. So if they go to YouTube and put in Ken Demith Collection, I think it's all one word you know, like Ken, the myth collection, it'll come up and you can subscribe and then they'll all, you can see all the ones I do. I'm I, Like I said, I've got a bunch planned. Andrew Brommel's is one of the guys that's going to come in and do one with me. So, Todd, maybe we can co- talk you into it.
0: That would be so much fun. The uh, I'm I'm trying to pull it up right now. I'm getting re- Facebook, Reverb Nation. I'm sure yeah. I can find it, but the... Uh, well, I, I didn't do it on YouTube. That's why I wouldn't come up on YouTube. Yeah, that's where you do it. So. Yeah. The, um, but yeah, no, I was just loving that because... So many people during this self quarantine
2: mm-hmm.
0: started coming out with little videos. A lot of them Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. And what has I
1: did that too for Idian Brewer? I was supposed to be playing a gig at Idiom Brewery, mm-hmm. and and so the night we were supposed to play, I decided to do the the um the my first at Facebook Live, and it was fun. It was you know I, I I looked and at the middle of the Facebook Live, I noticed there was like three hundred and fifty people watching it.
0: You can and tell like, when you're when you're doing it?
1: Yeah. And so I'm, I'm like, shocked. I'm like, I can't remember the last time 50, 350 people all watched me <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. You know, so, like, I was, like, way better than just, you know, a, a, a sparse room with three of your friends watching you. So now, I think what it is is people could watch, you know, in the comfort of their own homes, yeah. and then, you know, they could watch for 10 minutes and leave. There's a lot of that, for sure. but um, But I was appreciative of everybody that did that.
0: I mean, I would have, if I had done one, I haven't done one, the, yep. I would hope to get five people to watch it. Do you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> You'd be surprised. You should try it. Cause uh, I was surprised. I didn't expect that either.
0: Now, how do you, what's your video setup when you're, you're going to do either the Facebook live or when you do your YouTube?
1: Well, Facebook lives a little different cause, um, you, I do it from my phone okay. so that it can, 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 uh, get pub, you know, stream live. But for the video, I have, uh, you know, I have a, um, a camera like yours, you know, a nice yep. camera that I can do video with. And then I have um, uh, the iPads, frankly, that do a good job, you know, of decent quality. And it's easy.
0: Now, do you use uh, what you call the modern day studio lights or you just use room lights?
1: I just bought some uh, some soft lights, but okay. I, I I bought these soft lights because I do I'm on Zoom calls all day long yeah. Yeah, for work, uh, and I needed to look okay for these Zoom calls. Um, I don't like looking like I'm sitting in the dark. So, but they work for the studio too. But yeah, I just have been using whatever. I'm 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 uh, scrappy when it comes to that stuff. Uh, scrappy when it comes to everything, Todd. You know, <laughs> and just find a way to make it work.
0: Well, we used to use the word scrappy to define someone who maybe didn't have the talent or the status in life to get somewhere, but they were just scrappy and they made it.
1: There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have all, I don't, I, you know, I, I notice a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to get the best equipment. You've seen me Todd. I, 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 I'll play old crappy guitar. Cause you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I don't, I, I don't, uh, don't tend to spend a lot on guitars, but I have, I'll have, I'll buy, you know, I'd rather buy four cheap guitars than one good one. That's just me.
0: Now from your acoustic guitars, I know you have the Yamaha, I think it's a Yamaha nylon string <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and then you have your, your Fender um, acoustic.
1: Yeah. I just, I just traded up for a nice little Takamini nylon. So I'm, I'm playing that now most of the time.
0: Cool. Now what's your favorite acoustic of the acoustics you own?
1: Well, that Takamine I just bought is—I I like nylon strings. It, they just uh, this particular one has a really thin neck. Uh huh. Um, it's um, it's got a really thin neck, and it just that makes it a bit easier on my hands, and it plays so smooth. So that's my favorite. Um, not necessarily from sound from a sound standpoint. I have another. I have a when I do studio work, I use that Fender for bass. You know, bass acoustic steel string sound, and then um, basic, not bass, but basic. Right. And then, um, and then I have another Takamini acoustic that I string up Nashville style. You know what that is?
0: That's a, it's tuned a little higher, isn't it? Two steps up or something like that?
1: No, I actually do it, well, maybe, it's, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but I actually uh, put uh, the high-end strings from a 12-string set on it. Okay. And so you're just playing the drone strings only so when you play in the studio you get this kind of sweet sound it's just this, it's just the drone strings because the the a twelve string can deaden on recording you know um those thick uh the the bass strings on a on a 12th string can kind of deaden the sound where if you just play just the drone strings
0: uh-huh.
1: on a recording it sounds fantastic wow so i'll it's weird because you got these light strings on the top of the guitar you know but uh, if you get used to it, it's kind of an interesting, uh, second guitar sound.
0: I would imagine from a feel standpoint, it would take a little while to get used to that. Yes. Because your fingers are so used to that thickness.
1: Right. Um, but you know, it doesn't take long. You, you're just playing the same thing and you get, you're playing this, that, that, that's a trick, you know, like, cause you're playing the same stuff, but it gives it a totally, different and complementary sound to you know you play a good basic uh track with your acoustic guitar and then you come back with that that uh, drone string tuning and um it's you could tune it you know in drop d or g or you know whatever you want to do and uh open g uh whatever you want to do and you can sound great with it you know
0: now what's i noticed in some of your photos holding electrics that you've got telecaster shapes is that your favorite electric
1: yeah, I, I, I actually have two um, of my, I, I my main gig acts, the one I played for years and years is a, a Fender Nashville Deluxe. Um, and that one uh, is, it's set up like a, t- a Stratocaster and the pickups, um, same, same pickups with only, the only thing is it's got the, you know, the bar um, pickup at the, at the neck and, um, and it has a, uh, but this one has Fishman pickup in the bridge so that you can turn it into acoustic guitar. Oh, okay. So I, and then you can, I mix it. I, I have, I play through two amps when I play live with the band and the one amp is for the acoustic side and one amps for the, um, the electric. So I get this kind of interesting sound, you know, by doing that, but you haven't seen me play live with the band. So we'll have to I have
0: that not, have, I have only seen you do the open mics or the, or the Sunday songwriters.
1: Yeah, well, I had fun. We we got to play Sound uh, Sky Stage last summer.
0: Isn't that a fun venue?
1: Yeah, and it was a good packed house that night too. Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed uh, playing it.
0: Yeah, it's it, you know, unfortunately, it is weather specific, and of course, yes. right <laughs> now we, we can't do anything really. Although I think we're going to start to see a lot of a lot more outside because I know some of the breweries and wineries are starting to have music. Yep. The uh, but the Sky Stage being the problem there is getting enough people into those bleacher seats to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Because there's not that many, you can't fit that many people in there when they're packed in. So.
1: Yeah. But you know, that's, that's my favorite kind of place to play is, you know, a small place, people, you know, packed in, of course, now that's not going to (laughs) be
0: kosher. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. um,
1: I'd rather play a small place with, you know, with lots of enthusiastic small group than, than a big place that feels empty, you know,
0: so what does the future hold for the Ken DeMuth collection or the Ken DeMuth musician?
1: musician? Uh, I'm going to keep doing what I do. You know, I, uh, I think I'm, I feel great. These, these three guys I'm playing with here in Frederick, it took me a while. But I, I feel like we got a good we just started a, um, a new record this week. Um, and we did, we did it by transferring some files. But my drummer came over last night and we got the drum tracks down that is the hardest to do remotely um, and just the feel of this first song um, I'm super excited about making this next uh, record um, so I'm going to be pushing Boomerang for another year and uh, within the year we'll put out a new um, a new record from this like more organic band because I think I'm going to try to do it with just the four of us um, whereas this one had 20 last last one had 24 music, musicians I'd like to see what just the four of us could do
0: well from a monetary standpoint yep. if, if you toured with the 24 everybody would make about a <laughs> buck
1: <laughs> I, if that i actually i send out everybody i i have a policy that if i may have someone play on a record i pay them a, a royalty you know so i was i was mailing out you know 12 cents to people last <laughs> last year you know cuz cuz most of the sales are online and and as you know people aren't making any money on downloads and right And so, but I, you know, there was something about me that said, I'm going to mail people their 12 cents because that's what I ought to do. And it was weird, but it was more of a joke and fun. And I sent him a t-shirt too. So,
0: (laughs) well, you know, being a t-shirt lover myself, I would have valued the t-shirt. You could have kept the 12 cents. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was more, it was more just a statement like, you know, uh, I appreciate you doing this. And, and if, if this, if this was a million dollars, you'd get your percentage, you know,
0: no, it's a uh, wonderful, wonderful way to be. It's. Uh, I, I was listening to an interview with Brandy Carlisle and mm-hmm. then reading a story about her. And she's the front person and she's got the twins behind her or beside her. But what I thought was interesting is going in when they first jo- uh, joined up as a trio or as a band with them being the core, she said we get equal pay, which I thought was very interesting because – they're the side guys. She's the front person, but she said no. They they work just as hard as I do, so we get equal amounts. I think that was terrific. So, kudos to you for doing that. Kudos to her for doing that.
1: Yeah, well, and I'm listening to this uh, book on tape. Uh, it's David Burns, How Music Is Made.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it's a fan. You should listen to it or, or buy the book. Um, it's it tells lots. It's a little dated now. Um, yeah, I think it's several years old, uh, and some things have changed a lot since the. The book, but it's just his creative mind. He, it's it's a good book to, to learn from.
0: Well, since I'm a little dated myself, it'll probably work really well for me. <laughs> so now you mentioned Marley. Yeah. And Marley's what, 14? I'm, I'm taking a while oh, guess.
1: Oh, well, she acts like it for sure, but she's 11.
0: Okay. <laughs> and you mentioned to me in an email that she has begun to play the bass.
1: Yes. You know, Scott Maseron. I think that's how you say his last name over at the, uh, let there be rock school. Uh-huh. Um, she's been interested in music and started learning on her own, but, um, we signed her up over there and she's loving it and she's becoming quite a bass player. Yes.
0: Oh, uh, that's terrific.
1: Yeah. And they just, they opened back up this week too. And, uh, Scott's done a fantastic job of like, you know, protecting the students from, you know, exposure. And he sees, he spent a lot of money. It looks like to get, you know, get it where the kids can come in and, uh, play together again. So she's been doing it all via Scott, uh, uh, Zoom, right? You know they've been yep. doing their lessons. They even have band practice on Zoom, and and this was their first night to get back together. So I'm, I mean, you know, I'm Todd. The one thing I'm really proud of is all four of my kids. I have four kids. All four of them play guitar. Do they really? And yes. And and uh, my oldest daughter, Catherine, will write. She actually did a, a fame open mic with me here when she was here visiting down at the serendipity um, and uh, did a nice job. She's a great songwriter. Um, that's going to be her forte. Um, and then Marley just, uh, she just loves, she'll pick up anything. She plays piano, bass, ukulele, guitar, and she'll just come and say, I learned this song. I'm like, holy mackerel. That <laughs> so she's, she's one of those people that has that natural talent she just picks it up and starts playing so we'll see i'm not going to talk her up too big until we you know see how she sticks with it but so far so good
0: yeah now your your wife is kim right
1: yeah yeah is
0: she musical as well
1: doesn't play a thing doesn't want to i i i think uh here's what kim's role is she loves music she is like got this natural soul she you know like she um she's just passionate about music is why we're we're good partners because we love you we, we go see concerts together all the time and um and that's our favorite thing to do and we go see local music and she shows up with all these things you know and she like she supports me and that's that's where our connection is
0: well i think you've had a, a wonderful musical career and yeah i am tickled that you just chose to uh, move to the frederick maryland area
1: well, we'll, we'll have fun over the next few years, Todd, and we'll make, we'll make it better.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it and I'm really looking forward to being able to get back out and see people perform in person. Yeah. You know, it, well,
1: keep an eye on for session. I'm going to probably do those before anything and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do a few more of those. And like I said, I'm serious about having you come out. Let's do, let's do a session one time. Sometimes, you know,
0: I'd be happy just to stand behind the camera and watch and listen to produce a show. That would be, to me, fun, 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 fun.
1: Well, we, well, we'll figure it out.
0: We will. We will. Well, this has been terrific, Ken. Thank you so much for joining me on the, the podcast. And uh, I'm going to play the song The Way It Goes for those people. Right. You won't, unfortunately, be able to hear it because we will have uh, finished the phone conversation. But uh, now... I know how it goes. No, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> how do people, before we, we end the conversation, yep. how do they get a hold of a copy of Boomerang?
1: So you can get it on iTunes. You can listen to it on Spotify, you know, all the normal online places. Um, You can um, get – I don't know if you can buy a physical copy anywhere anymore. Uh, uh, Maybe by by this uh, end of the summer I'll have some that you could order off of the website, which my website is um, kendemythcollection.com. So kendemythcollection.com. You can find it there and um, uh, when it comes out.
0: Very good. Well, listen, you have a terrific rest of your day and the show will be live probably by tomorrow. I'm not, oh, wow. no, not positive I can get it up tonight, but by tomorrow because I need to send out my weekly update to let everybody know sure. who's doing what. I enjoy what.
1: those, Todd. I like seeing what's going on. So thanks for doing that.
0: Oh, you're welcome. And Ken, thanks again for uh, chatting with me.
1: All right. We'll see you later. Sounds good. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Well, that was Ken Demith and terrific conversation nice guy transplant from well chicago to nashville tennessee to dallas texas to the frederick maryland area now resides in myersville maryland and what a it's so much fun learning about musicians and i and i say friends of mine i'm not really close friends with a whole lot of them but i feel like i am and this is, this podcast has been a lot of fun for me i hope it's a lot of fun for you and we're going to be finishing up the show with the song the way it goes from ken demith's cd or the ken demith collection cd boomerang mm-hmm. And that was me pushing the wrong button. Here is the correct song. The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. It is taped live, which is the reason for the little blooper at the end of our conversation when I pushed the wrong button and started someone else's song by mistake. But the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist... If you're enjoying the series, which I hope you are, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, or you may find it on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Now back to the song, The Way It Goes, from the CD Boomerang.